I'm excited to get to teach this morning. I just finished teaching over at the Jersey Village campus, and they uh, uh, sent me here with their best wishes. I will readily admit we had a few secrets that we told, but what happens in Jersey Village stays in Jersey Village. So I'm going to have to unload a few secrets on you so that uh, what happens in Champion Forest can spread out and about. Because we're on the internet. And it changes what I'm able to say. (laughs) So I was at the library Friday night. And I had a chance to meet this marvelous young lady from China who had come to the library and found her way over to visit with me and let me get to know who she is. And it was magnificent to, to visit with her. And she wanted our internet team, which includes people running the cameras. Well, it includes all of you because we wouldn't be here without you to know that she has been watching very carefully our videos and that they have really changed her life watching this class. So to her or to anyone else who's watching by video, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. This morning, we're continuing to work through some vignettes in the life Wow. Somebody who's watching this on the internet and listening really loud, you can go back and play that pop over again. We're listening, uh, we're, we're looking at vignettes from the life and teachings of Jesus that hopefully will change the way we live. And so the vignettes this morning are all themed around the idea of worship. Now, worship is an interesting word. When I was a child, we used to talk about going to church to worship. And so we would go to church. I grew up in a a family where we went to church to worship a lot. We would go every Sunday morning. As the preacher would say, if you go to church on Sunday morning, it's a sign that you want to go to church. We'd go to church on Sunday night. Our preacher would say, if you go to church on Sunday night, it's a sign you like the preacher. We would go on Wednesday night. And our preacher said, if you go to church on Wednesday night, it's a sign you like the Lord. Uh, It was just, I think he got in trouble for saying that, kind of insinuating that you don't if you only go Sundays. But regardless, Uh, so I grew up with this idea of worship being something very important, but it was something that was done at a building. And it took me a while before I learned that that is not true. That's not what our English word worship means. It's not what the Hebrew words translated worship mean. It's not what the Greek words translated worship means. I think it's useful as we look at worship this morning to consider the word itself. Because I want to make sure that we're on the same page and I can come back to this with you in a little bit. So we've got this word in English. Let's make it a little bit bigger. And a little bit darker. There we go. Sort of. We've got this word in English called worship. And it's a really nice handy word. And it's been handed down to us through the Anglo-Saxon roots of much of our language. So the Anglo-Saxon roots of this word are actually two different words. The word were 
W-O-R, comes from the Anglo-Saxon word from which we get worth. I think it was like weorth or something in Anglo-Saxon. But it's basically worth. You with me? Now, the ship part comes from an Anglo-Saxon word that means today we, we it's skiape in the Anglo-Saxon, but we get a scribe from it. So to worship literally means to ascribe worth. The question becomes, who do we worship? And how do we worship? And why do we worship? And those are questions that we can find if we study carefully the life and the teachings of Jesus. So I want to take all of the different words that are associated with worship and I want to look at five different passages out of the New Testament that deal with this. And I'll look at them along some key buzzwords. So one of the five words is this word of gratitude, this idea of gratitude. The second idea we want to look at is the idea of worship being centered on God. The third is the idea of worship being for God only. And then the fourth, worship being one of obedience. Last, if we've got time for a fifth one, we will look at worship as reality. You with me? All right, let's get started. Gratitude. Here is your passage. It comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as Jesus entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When Jesus saw the lepers, Jesus said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Why, where are the nine? Was, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Now that's a beautiful story and it's a wonderful story and from the story we can glean the message of the importance of an attitude of gratitude. But it's really worth digging into this story in a little more detail to get a fuller flavor of what's behind the story. Now Luke is writing his gospel during the time of Paul's missionary journeys and, and probably his capture and captivity. 
But it's a time where the, the, the Christian faith had expanded beyond Jerusalem and it had expanded beyond simply Jews. Gentiles were involved. But there was still a very strong Jewish identity that would have made this story stand out in the minds of the people. So I'd like to walk through this story with you in a little bit more detail. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. I should have put a map up there. I'm sorry I didn't. We'll make our own map. So if this is the Mediterranean Sea, uh, let's bring it into the picture. This is the Mediterranean Sea, and it's got that border. You've got Egypt down here. Uh, Egypt is down here. You've got Israel off to the side here. Here's what you need to know. You've got, first of all, the coastal lands are kind of green and crops and all of that. And then the hills start, just little hills, the Shephelah. And then the bigger hills get there. And then you've got kind of desert wasteland over here save for where the Jordan River comes down from the Sea of Galilee and dumps into the Dead Sea. You all with me? All right, so now you have your official map, and no one will claim that I copied it from anyone. <laughs> it's pretty clear I didn't. Now, Judah, we'll use the Star of David, Judah... And Jerusalem headquartered right here in the hills. So that is Jerusalem. Galilee is up here. Near the Sea of Galilee. Between Galilee and Jerusalem is this area called Samaria. That's where the Samaritans are. Samaria used to be the northern ten tribes of Israel before they were conquered by the Assyrians. The Samaritans don't get along with the Jews and the Jews don't get along with the Samaritans. Jesus has gone through Samaria before and did not get a very good reception. They didn't want him there, according to Luke. So this time, Luke tells us that Jesus is between Galilee and Samaria. So that puts Jesus somewhere in this range. If you're going from Galilee to Jerusalem, like Jesus was, you could go straight and quick through Samaria, but then you've got to go through Samaria, home of the Samaritans. Instead, you could go the long way. You could cut over to the desert and go down through the desert, loop back up through Jericho into the hills of Jerusalem. You avoid the Samaritans, but you have to endure the desert. Ugh. So those are your choices. Now, if we go back to the text... Luke says Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he's passing along between Samaria and Galilee. 
She's in that, huh, place. And he enters a village. Now Luke knows that the readers are dying to know. Okay, is it a Jewish village? Or is it a Samaritan village? (laughs) That's their attitude. So Luke doesn't tell us. He lets us dangle at the end of the string wondering. Jesus enters the village and he's met by ten lepers. Who stood at a distance. See, lepers were not allowed inside the village. The Samaritans believed that they were the true worshipers of God. The Jews believed that the Samaritans were corrupt worshipers of God. The Samaritans held to the first five books of Moses. Of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. But the Samaritans believed that the rest of the books were corruptions by the Jews. <laughs> That's what the Samaritans would do. Meanwhile, the Jews say that the Samaritans have corrupted the books of Moses. Substituted Mount Gerizim. Where it should be Mount Sinai. Etc. The Samaritans. So they're spitting on each other. They're upset with each other. They don't like each other. And in the midst of that, there are these ten lepers. But either under Samaritan law and the Samaritan Pentateuch, or under Jewish law and the Jewish Pentateuch, either one, lepers are the same. They're outcasts. The Greek word that's translated leprosy, uh, lepers here, it's the Greek word leper. It's really hard to know, actually, it's lepros in the Greek. There are, these are outcasts in society. Leprosy, they, they, look, they didn't have our understanding of disease. Don't think of leprosy as simply our disease. Leprosy was any number of different skin diseases. And because of the possible contagion of skin diseases. There were all of these laws that had been set up by God in the Torah through Moses. That's going to be in the Jewish Torah. It's going to be in the Samaritan Pentateuch. All of the laws are the same. Leprosy was akin to sin. But leprosy was something where the lepers are not allowed to affiliate with anyone. It's just going to spread. They can't touch the same food. They can't eat with the same utensils. They can't go in the same towns. They can't visit the same stores. They can't wear the same clothes. They can't even come into physical contact. If you are a leper and you see someone coming under the law, you were required to shout out, Leper! Leper! So they know not to come near you. You lived in leprosy camps outside. Now, if you didn't actually have the disease we today call leprosy, which is a loss of sensation, which does a lot of horrible things to the body. If you didn't actually have that and you just had some skin condition that maybe resolves over time, there was a procedure for you to reintegrate into society. You would have to go to the priest. They'd put you in containment lockdown for a week or so. 
and check you out and make sure truly your disease was gone. But leprosy as a problem, leprosy was any number of skin diseases. But it was a debilitating social disorder. The lepers were seen to be living under a divine curse. They were ritually unclean. They were outcasts. They were the margin of society. So that's what you've got. You've got these ten lepers. You've got these ten lepers there. Uh Uh-oh. Hold on. My computer just freaked out. There. You've got these ten lepers who stand at a distance. They lift up their voices and they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, isn't that amazing? These people who live on the margin of society, who can't have interaction, know who Jesus is. They didn't know who Jesus was because they got to go to the parties Jesus was invited. Nah. They wouldn't be invited to the parties. They weren't allowed to come into the homes. They weren't allowed to attend in the main the Sermon on the Mount. They wouldn't be allowed to sit and eat with the feeding of the 5,000. They are outcasts. The Samaritans are outcasts too. All of the Samaritans to the Jews. But Jesus is dealing here with ten lepers who stand at a distance and they cry out, Jesus, knowing who he is, have mercy on us. That, by the way, is also a cry for money. I mean, they can't work at a normal job. You don't go to a butcher who's a leper. You don't, you you know, they're not here, let me make your cloak i'm a tailor leper the tailor tailor the leper that doesn't work so they're crying out to jesus the greek on this um the the verb that's used is eleo and eleo means to have mercy but it's also used in the septuagint and other places for almsgiving Ela'o has this idea of having compassion. So it's, 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 they're saying to Jesus, have mercy on us. But what they're really doing is saying, hey, maybe they knew enough to be asking for clean, uh, cleansing. But they don't say heal us. They say something that could be answered as simply by Jesus flipping them a coin. Are saying, I'll get some food, I'll leave it here for you, you come get it when I'm gone. But that's not the way the story unfolds. They say, have mercy, and Jesus sees them, and he says, go and show yourselves to the priest. And they went, and they're cleansed. That idea of cleansed means something significant to them. It denotes that they're forgiven. The curse of that, that, that's manifested in leprosy is gone. They've got the physical recovery. They're healed. They can be restored to society. They can hug their kids. They can sleep with their spouse. 
They can hold a job. Their lives have been radically changed. It's, it's every hope and dream they could possibly have. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest because that's who's got to validate the healing, the cleansing, the purity so that they can reintegrate into society. True under Samaritan law, true under Jewish law. So the people, they, 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 and one, one of the people, one of the ten, ten percent, turns around, seeing he was healed, turns back, praises God with a loud voice, and falls on his feet at, falls on his face at Jesus' feet. Giving him thanks. The he, one of the Hebrew words for worship is hishtachavu. It means to put your face down on the ground. It's to fall at someone's feet. Put your face down. Greeks had the same idea for worship. With a, One of the Greek words for worship is pros kuneo. Pros means toward, kuneo. To put your nose toward the ground. To fall flat. The man's praising God. Worshiping at the feet of Jesus. Giving thanks. Jesus says, I thought I'd just cleanse ten of you. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Jesus is talking to his followers at this point in time. They've been silent through this story. Luke doesn't even include them. But now Luke is giving us the final cherry on top of the Sunday. The one that returned was the Samaritan. Dare we spit again? The one who was thankful was the Samaritan. The outcast of the outcast race is the one that came back and showed gratitude and worshipped at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Luke, the physician who's writing this doesn't use the most common Greek medical term for well. Instead, Luke uses sozo. Luke uses S, long O, Z, long O. Sozo. It means as well to save. This man's not just been physically healed. He's been saved by his faith. A loaded term by the time Luke's writing this. Your faith. When Luke has Jesus saying that the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. That word save. Exact same word as this. Made you well. Healed. Salvation is a healing, not simply of some physical malady. It's a healing of the, 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 the sickness of sin. 
the death sentence that is sin. The way sin separates us from the community. The way sin affects us. The infection that is sin that infects others. The faith, the willingness to do what Jesus said, trusting in him, even though that leper may have come to Jesus looking for a handout of money or food, what he got was so much more. And that's what Jesus terms praising God, is this gratitude, this gratitude. So where do I sit with this? I know that gratitude to God is part of what it means to worship and to praise God. Thank you, God. Before we eat a meal, thank you, God. When we wake up at the start of our day, thank you, God. When we go on a journey and it's safe, thank you, God. When we have breath to breathe, thank you, God. When we have redemption from sin, thank you, God. When we're with our families, thank you, God. When our health is good, thank you, God. When our health is not good, thank you, God. And help. Have mercy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell at his face, on his face, at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. So that's gratitude for worship. Let's talk about the importance of worship being God-centered. And for this passage, I want to go to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. This is, uh, Jesus has just been born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Because we saw his star when it rose. And we've come to worship him. Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And so he assembles the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He inquires them, where's Messiah going to be born? Well, the chief priests, they don't have to go home and Google it. They knew their prophets. They knew the prophet Malachi said, but for you, Bethlehem, Malachi or Micah, one of the two, they knew it better than I do, but for you, Bethlehem Ephratah, their Bethlehem literally means house of bread, Beit Lechem. So it, it's, it's, um, it was a common name for places with bakeries. You know, you don't just like have one bakery in the Middle East. So, but there, there were different Bethlehems. But the prophet was specific. But for you, Bethlehem Ephratah. That's Bethlehem, the city of David. That's the Bethlehem of Judea. From you will come forth one who's going to rule the nations. So Herod summons the wise men secretly you know, he wants to know when the star arose. Now, the readers of Luke's gospel, then the people of the day, they knew who Herod was. Herod was very famous. He had been the king. He had been appointed by Rome as the king. 
his descendants had ruled and when he had died. He'd been a massive builder. He'd built this massive part of the temple. He'd built part of the Masada complex where the Jews would ultimately uh, die in the Roman rebellion. He had a massive Herodian palace. He built all sorts of structures, lest you think he was a good guy because he built a lot. He was not. He was a narcissist, egomaniac, self-centered, corrupt, horrible, evil, wicked man, building to his glory and honor. When he called them back in and said, Go, search diligently for the child. When you found him, bring me word so that I may come and worship him. He was lying. He wasn't trying to worship the king. Herod's the king. He wants to kill anyone who might have a claim to his throne. You say, well, Jesus was an infant. Uh, They couldn't make him king then. Herod would surely die. Why is he concerned about it? Oh, they can make children kings. Herod doesn't want that king alive. So Herod lies about it. So here you've got these two different sets of people. The the wise men wanting to go worship Jesus and Herod claiming he wants to. But the real question that I have in terms of the worship is what's it about? Who is it about? Because true worship is centered on God. False worship centered on me or anything else. True worship is centered on God. Any other worship is false worship. Look at the way it's set up here. The, 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 the writing of Matthew is really cool. So I was telling them in, in Jersey Village, I don't know how many of you have taken foreign dead languages. I've studied enough foreign dead languages to be foreign and dead. <laughs> One of the great teaching tools for learning language is to use vocabulary over and over. So when uh, I was... Hebrew, you start out, you first you learn, we learned all this grammar with some reading exercises built in. But then we started reading the text and they started us reading the Joseph story first because certain phrases and words are repeated over and over and over. So it kind of builds in. We do the same with people who learn to read English when we learn to read English. See, Jack, go. Go, Jack, go. Jack goes. See, spot, run. Run, Spot, run. Spot runs. See Jack run. Run, Jack run. Jack runs. Remember? Okay. I'm not sure you're hearing me. So you read these these texts, Greek, Hebrew, and you rejoice and it jumps out at you when the same words are used over and over. Now, Matthew wasn't writing this to teach people to read Greek, but Matthew's writing this 
And he's repeating words and phrases because he doesn't want us to miss the two sides that he set up against themselves. Here, wise men come from the east. Wise men say, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. Compare that to the same words for Herod. Herod wants to know where so that he can come and worship him. I'm going to go back to this. True worship is God-centered. Yeah, I tried to find some pictures. True worship is God-centered. False is self-interested. So, when um, I was uh, growing up, I grew up in a church tradition that was a cappella in worship, service. Life is worship. In the services of the church, it was a cappella. And there are certain songs you could sing that are great songs. And they're hymns. And they're in the hymn book. I love to sing, holy, holy, holy. It was a beautiful hymn. I loved um, um, uh, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind, Forgive Our Foolish Ways, Reclothe Us in Our Rightful Mind, In Purer Lives Thy Service Find, In Deeper Reverence Praise. But then there were some that I just detested. And I thought these are horrible songs, and I didn't want to go to church if we were singing those songs. That's just, I'm sorry, I don't know who Mr. Stamp was and I don't know who Mr. Baxter was. But they put together these songs that are called Stamp Baxter songs and I just didn't like them. I've grown to enjoy them. But I didn't then. And I can remember sitting down in frustration with our youth pastor, our youth minister, saying, look, why, why can't you make them sing the good stuff and get rid of the bad stuff? And he said to me, he said, so is worship about you and what you like? Or is it about bringing glory and honor to God? And of course, I was a smart alecky little kid. And I said, well, do you honestly think God likes those songs either? <laughs> I mean, God's got taste. No, it made an important point. Worship is not about me. It's not about us. It's about him. And here's our danger zone. We get to fellowship with a worship team that's phenomenal. With singers that are amazing. With instrumentalists that are talented and gifted and bringing those gifts and talents to the Lord in service. With worship leaders that work hard to, to craft and sculpt a, a time for us to be together that is transforming, that brings us into the presence of God. But it's so good that we've got to be real careful it doesn't cross the line into entertainment. We don't go in there to be entertained. We, we don't sing together to the Lord to entertain us. 
The Psalms talk about clapping to the glory of God. We can clap and glorify God. But we're not applauding the musicians. We might clap in their honor and say, thank you for what you've done. But it's not, gee, we've been entertained. We got moved. Let's applaud. Our pure worship is going to be that worship which isn't centered on us and what's happened to us and what we're about and how we feel. All of those things have their place, but their place comes from us making the worship about proclaiming God, about, if we go back to the Elmo, ascribing worth to God. That's what we're about. Make sense? Okay, so worship, gratitude, uh, God-centered God only. Here's your passage, Matthew 4, 9 through 10. Satan said to Jesus, all these I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to Satan, be gone. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament here. He's quoting the books of Moses. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, we might look at this and say, well, that's a gimme. Who are you going to worship? Satan or going to worship God? Time out. Give this passage some fairness And give Satan his due. Satan is not jumping around in a Halloween costume with a red mask and pitchfork and tail. Satan is a deceiver. And he sneaks around and he tries to find little cracks and crevices through which he can come. He's got two techniques that I have found that I firmly believe we need to know. Number one, make people not believe in him. I mean, that's, that's pretty crafty. If you believe in him, you're looking for him. If you think, well, there's no Satan. That was a, 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 a philosophical manifestation of the concept of an adversary that is inherent in our DNA that distracts and, and impedes us from proceeding along a much grander ground morally and ethically. I mean, his job's so much easier if, if you don't believe in him. You don't have to hide. The second way that he works, that is profound in our midst, is by pretending to be your friend. How can this be wrong if it feels so good? There's, there's a fine line between thanksgiving and gluttony. 
I know I've crossed it many times. Probably will again this week. There are things that, you know, the first temptation, turning stone into stones into bread, that wasn't Satan jumping out saying, hey, Jesus, nanner, nanner, if, if, you're, if you're the son of God, prove it. I want to see you change this into that. It wasn't some physics challenge. It was a friendly help. Hey, we've got to talk about some things. And I know you haven't eaten for weeks. You've got to be starving. Look, you're the son of God. You can change these rocks into bread. Why don't you do that? Get something to eat. Get yourself comfortable. And then let's talk about some stuff. Could there be anything friendlier than offering bread to a starving man? That's the way he works. So when he says this to Jesus, it's not, deny God and become a Satanist. Build the church of Satan. And I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. No. I'm sure it was much more along the lines of, hey, I understand you worship God. That's great. That's wonderful. That's marvelous. But that doesn't need to be exclusive. You can worship me too. Ascribe worth to me. Say I've got value. You just be willing to say that worship, I've got value. Along with God. And I'll give you the world. And Jesus' response is, get out of here. God said you only worship God. You only serve God. You don't worship anyone else. That's it. You know, that, 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 that's what we need to do. We need to see. Here's the, here's the problem. One of many problems. Is we'll tend to become like the things we worship. You want to put your value in something. You want to see something as valuable and worthwhile. You'll start to figure out how to put it into your life or become like it. And our goal needs to become like Jesus. Our goal needs to become like God. We are to grow in godliness. We are to become like him. Not in power. We'll never be God. But in character. In love. In compassion. In caring about the things that God cares about. Your focus, your worship, true worship is not God plus anything. It's God only. Got it? All right, let's see. We've got time for another one or two. Let's do obedience. Obedience we'll get from Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching us doctrine the commandments of men. Here's what was going on there. Jesus' followers, his apostles are eating, and they did not do the ritual hand washing beforehand. And the, the, the Pharisees and some of the, the, the super spiritual people said to Jesus, why isn't it that your, 
your followers feel the need to do this extra showing of cleanliness before they eat. Now, please understand, this was not a health concern. They weren't worried about spreading flu germs. They had no concept of that. The washing was a purity ritual to, to show that they had purified themselves before they had taken the few food. And it wasn't something that God had commanded to be done. It was something that was traditional with them. And they wanted to know, why aren't your followers wanting to be super spiritual like we are? And Jesus looked back at him and said, well, let me ask you a question there, Hot Rod. Why do you disregard the commandments of God under the guise of trying to be super spiritual with your traditions. Specifically what Jesus was talking about within that context was the, the one of the Ten Commandments is to honor your father and mother. That concept of honoring your parents isn't simply mom and dad, good people. No, it means to take care of them. In old age. That's part of it. This is why I have sisters. <laughs> so they can take care of mom in her old age. And I honor mom when I tell them to do it. We, we honor by taking care. And so Jesus says the commandments to honor your parents. But you take what you should be giving to your mom and dad and say, Well, I can't give it to you, mom. I can't give it to you, dad. This is dedicated for God. Aren't I pious? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you. You honor me with your lips. You say, I'm being very super spiritual here. I'm being very pious here. But your heart is far from me. Your heart's not giving me honor. If your heart was giving me honor, you wouldn't be teaching your own doctrines and your own commandments. You'd be doing what I told you to do. See, super spirituality is not levitating above the earth. You want to be a super spiritual person? You really, really want to be spiritual before the Lord? I mean, I'm talking monk quality. You want to know what it means to truly, truly, truly rise to a spiritual level unknown in our community. Obey God. Just do what he tells you to do. Simple daily obedience to God is the worship that is spiritual and true. There's not some magic incantation you need to know. There's not some ritual of man you need to honor. You need to do what God told you to do. I need to do what God told me to do. And when I do that, I'm worshiping him. It's obedience. Let me give you one last one. We've got four minutes, and this is reality. And then I looked, it's from Revelation. I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, Jesus. 
worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every creature, every creature in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, every creature and all that's in the sea and everything else said to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Jesus, the suffering Messiah, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and they worshiped. We worship the Lord God. We worship Him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship the Lamb of God crucified for our sins. Jesus is worthy to receive power. I'm not. No one else is in the world compared to Him. There is no one else in the world who has ever given their life voluntarily for you and for me to get us right with God. And pay the price for our sins. Nobody. Oh, someone might take a bullet for you. Someone, I would take a bullet for my family in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. But I don't have the power to forgive their sins. I don't have the power. I don't have the wealth. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the might. I certainly am not worthy of the honor. I'm certainly not worthy of the glory. I cannot bless unless God infuses the blessing. It is God who blesses. And every creature says it to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory. Not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, a year, a generation, not for a lifetime, not for the life of this earth, but forever and ever. Amen. In the doors to the chapel in our backyard, I've got carved the Agnus Dei. That's Latin for the Lamb of God. And the way the church has traditionally presented the Lamb of God, the sacrifice of Christ, you'll see one of the legs is lifted. That's because Jesus was not being drugged to the cross, drugged to the cross. He wasn't being forced to the cross. He went of his own volition. He's walking there. He's going there. That's the whole reason he came to earth. Jesus is going to the cross to pay the price for our sins of his own accord. He carries with him the victor's banner, but atop that on the staff that holds that flag is the cross because that's where the victory is. This is what Paul meant when Paul wrote to the Philippians and he said that it should affect the way we live. It should affect the way we think. Heaven forbid we believe that we're high and mighty. We believe that we're anything special. What we need to understand and have in our attitude is the same one that was in Jesus. Here it is, Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have the same attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a human being and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to other humans, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the shameful death on a cross. Then Paul says, therefore, because of what Jesus did, because he is the lamb who was slain, Therefore, God highly exalted him and placed on him the name which is above every name. I'm quoting Paul here. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's of people in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, Paul says. Every tongue confess. We worship because it's the truth. We ascribe, go back to this for a moment. We ascribe worth to God. Do you know why? Because only God is worth the. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we give you all glory, honor, power, and dominion. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your justice. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for your interest in us. We thank you that you call us by name, that you know who we are, that you seek to bring us into a healed relationship with you, with the community at large. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins that has been paid justly through the blood of Jesus. And we wrap ourselves in adoration and praise for you and who you are. Lord, anything we've got of value, anything we've got of worth pales in comparison to you and we lay it at your feet. And we seek to serve you moment by moment, minute by minute in worship to you. Amen.